Um, we're, we're in a series in Leviticus, um, and we are in chapters 8 to 9 this evening. And I'm going to read it all for us. I'm going to read the entire thing, and then I'm going to um, work us through it. It's quite a lot, um, but I think it's important, and I think we'll see, in one sense, why the detail matters, and why we're meant to wrestle with it slightly, um, and what that's for. So let me lead us in prayer, and then I'll read, and then we'll have a look. I will read it fairly quickly, just to warn you. Heavenly Father, you know each of us better than we know ourselves. You know what we've got going on this week ahead. You know the joys and the celebration. You know the concerns and the difficulties, the things making us anxious. And we pray as we um, try and work through these two chapters this evening, would it not simply be looking to understand passages better, but might we grasp more of your character and who you are. The kind of God whom we serve and we love. Let speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're page 108 through to 110. Chapter 8. There should be a Bible near you if you need it. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket containing bread made with the yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses said to the assembly, This is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband which he tied round him. He placed the breastplate on him and put the urim and thummim in the breastplate piece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils in the basin with its stand to consecrate them. Poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head, and he anointed him to consecrate him. And then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes round them, and fastened caps on them, as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the bull for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood, and with his finger he put it on the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar, so he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Moses also took all the fat around the internal organs, the long robe of the liver and both kidneys and the fat and burned it on the altar. But the bull with its hide and its flesh and its intestines he burned outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the ram for the burnt offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Then Moses sorted the ram, splashed the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces and burned the head, the pieces and the fat. He washed the internal organs and legs with water and burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma of food offering presented to the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the other ram, the ram for the ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the ram, took some of its blood, and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. 
Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, on the big toes of their right feet. Then he splashed blood against the sides of the altar. After that, he took the fat, the fat tail, the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, both kidneys, and the fat in the right thigh. And from the basket of bread made without yeast, which was before the Lord, he took one thick loaf, one thick loaf with olive oil mixed in, and one thin loaf, and he put these on the fat portions on the right side. He put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons, and they waved them before the Lord as a wave offering. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as an ordination offering, a pleasing aroma of food offering for them to the Lord. Moses also took the breast which was his share of the ordination ram and waved it before the Lord as a wave offering as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood from the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and their garments. Moses then said to Aaron and his sons, Come, cook the meat at the entrance to the tent of meeting and eat it there with the bread of the basket of ordination offerings as I was commanded. Aaron and his sons are to eat it. Then burn the rest of the meat and the bread. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed. For your ordination will last seven days. What has been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. You must stay at the entrance to the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and do, do what the Lord requires so you will not die. But that is what I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, Take a bull calf for your sin offering, and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, and present them before the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering, to sacrifice before the Lord, together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. They took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people, and make atonement for them, as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. His sons brought the blood to him and he dipped his finger into the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and the rest of the blood he poured out at the base of the altar. On the altar he burned the fat, the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the the sin offering as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned outside the camp. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. His sons handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. They handed him the burnt offering piece by piece including the head and he burned them on the altar. He washed the internal organs and the legs and burned them on the top of the burnt offering on the altar. Aaron then brought the offering that was for the people. He took the goat for the people's sin offering and slaughtered it and offered it for a sin offering as he did with the first one. He brought the burnt offering and offered it in the prescribed way. He also brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar in addition to the morning's burnt offering. He slaughtered the ox and the ram as the fellowship offering for the people. His sons handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. But the fat portions of the ox and the ram, the fat tail, the layer of fat, the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, these they laid on the breast, and then Aaron burnt the fat on the altar. Aaron waved the breast and the right thigh before the Lord as a wave offering, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, 
and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came up from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. One of the, um, one of the things you often hear in our world, maybe rightly, is that Christians are intolerant of others. That is, why can't we just loosen up a bit with what we believe? It's particularly true of a society that is increasingly turning its back on its Judeo-Christian heritage as we increasingly stand at odds with those around us. And I think it's a complicated question. It's true in all kinds of areas and aspects, whether lifestyle or ethics or doctrine. And it may be that we have held fast to certain things in the past that are not that helpful. There was a time when Christians didn't like to dance, for example. Maybe we needed to loosen up a bit. But then there are other things which really matter. Primary things, things of gospel importance. And yet the world says, well surely if someone is, is sincere and wholehearted and true to themselves, and they're not hurting anyone else, then why does it matter what they do? Do Christians have a right to say anything about that context? Of course that's coming from a worldview. Increasingly, where the only absolute truth is that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And where what really counts is sincerity. And not hurting anyone else. What right do Christians have to question others or to critique or challenge them? Does it matter what you believe? Do Christians need to loosen up? Are we intolerant? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? The thing I've been struck by this last week, though, in preparing for this talk from Leviticus, this ancient book that we are studying through this term on Sunday evenings, is simply that kind of thinking doesn't work here. We don't believe in Leviticus that sincerity is all that matters. We see it very clearly. Perhaps you saw it as I was reading it a moment ago. What they do really matters. These things are of prime importance. Actually, the, the structure of the section, and we're, if you remember Dave from the last couple of weeks, has given us kind of the overview of Leviticus and how it fits together and how we, we're structuring it. Well, this week, we're chapters 8 and 9, we're thinking about priests. Um, they're actually part of a slightly wider section of 8, 9 and 10. They are passages about making it possible for a sinful humanity and a perfect, holy, pure, good God to relate to each other. And so the focus is particularly upon the priesthood and sacrifices to inaugurate the priesthood. Not as some kind of twisting God's arm, not as some sort of uh, making him begrudgingly to be friends with us, but this is his idea for his people to worship him. Have a little look with me. In chapter 8 you'll see God is speaking to Moses. And you'll see Moses obeys God, he assembles the community, he gets the priests ready for their job, Aaron and his sons, and it takes a week for him to do that. Then there's a bit of a break. And then we reach chapter 9. And you see there, this is them getting on with their job, various sacrifices... They obey and they action all that the Lord told them to. And chapter 9 is really significant. They end with the important words, verse 23, 23 and 24. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. 
When they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. And they are significant because, do you remember Dave told at the end of Exodus, do you remember that they can't go into the tent of meeting? The glory of the Lord means there can be no fellowship. And yet here what happens is that there is friendship again. It's good news. Actually the striking thing, we'll be here next week in chapter 10. Um, If 8 and 9 are good news, chapter 10 is bad news. Because in chapter 10, you see God's judgment upon Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. They don't do as the Lord commands. And they are priests, they are sons of Aaron even, but because of their disobedience and their sloppiness, 10 verse 1, They offered unauthorised fire before the Lord, contrary to his command, and they are judged and they are consumed. In the world view of Leviticus, simply being sincere is not enough. And so when people say to us, well to me God is like this, and I like to worship God like this, in the world view of Leviticus, that doesn't work. Because God is real, he is really good, and we are really sinful, and so the two cannot mix. We may not face the kind of immediate judgment, and we'll have questions about that, but you can wait till next week. Immediate judgment of Nadab and Abihu. But finally, false worship will result in perhaps the Lord saying to us, Away from me, I never need. Sincerity is not enough. False worship is not harmless if we claim to follow the God of the Scriptures. What you do matters. And that's why you get the refrain right through both chapters this evening. Um, As the Lord commanded, sweep over with me, um, 8 and verse 4, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. 8 verse 9, as the Lord commanded Moses. Or 8 verse 13, as the Lord commanded Moses. Or 8 verse 17, as the Lord commanded Moses. 8 verse 21, as the Lord commanded Moses. 8 verse 29, as the Lord commanded Moses. And we're thinking, is it scratch records? What's going on here? Has he just got a bit happy with copy and paste? No, there's a similar phrase as well in 8 verse 36, 34 to 36. What has been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. You must stay at the entrance of the tent of meeting uh, day and night for seven days and do what the Lord requires so that you will not die. For that is what I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded. This is not an accident of this repetition. It's making a point. It's there as well in, in action in chapter 9. You get it in 9 verse 6 or 9 verse 7 or 9 verse 10 or 9 verse 21. The big point is We must do it the way the Lord tells us. We must worship him in a way that he has told us to. There's no ambiguity in that. He is holy, we are not. He is pure, we are not. He is good, we are not. And so sin must be dealt with. And it must be dealt with in a way that he outlines. It's one of the big stories of the Bible, of course. We are waiting for sin to be perfectly dealt with. We can't just get rid of it on our own. We are waiting for God to deal with our sin. 
and we'll think more about the Lord Jesus in a bit. Of course, one of the, the realities of sin in the Bible, of rebellion against God, is that we want to be like God. And so we think we can set the rules and we want to worship him in the way that we want to worship him rather than listening to him and doing it his way. Um, Let me try and get into the text. I recognise there's a lot. We will sweep over and then we will pick out some key details. Otherwise we'll be here till midnight and that would not be ideal. Have a look at verse 1 to 3 first of all and you get some of the people and things who are needed. What do you need, Moses? You need Aaron and his two sons. We find out their name next week. Um, You need all their clothes and their stuff for the sacrifices. There'll be animals, there'll be bread, there'll be oil, all kinds of ingredients. And then you also need, well, kind of everyone else, the assembly gathers at the entrance of the tent of meeting. We'll see in a bit who that means. This is a corporate, national thing. This is important. Then from 4 or 5 through to about 30, the next section, so most of the passage, you see Moses obeying all the Lord's commands. He gathered all the things he meant to, the people and the stuff and the animals and everything. He, he gathered Aaron and his sons. He puts Aaron's clothes on about them shortly. Um, he anoints Aaron, he performs various offerings, a sin offering, a burnt offering, an ordination offering, a wave offering, there are things that we encountered in previous weeks. Different offerings for different types of sin and different purpose. And then in 31 to 35, Moses tells Aaron, the new high priest, what to do. And verse 36, Aaron and his sons did everything as the Lord commanded through Moses. Okay, so if you like, eight to, or chapter 8 of the instructions, and then chapter 9 is actually getting on with it. It's all systems go, everything's ready. And you get this interplay then between Mo- Moses commanding Aaron, and Aaron doing what he's meant to do then in chapter 9. So the baton is passed on. The Lord has told Moses, Moses tells Aaron, Aaron does it. And as we saw, perhaps you notice, we, we concluded verse 23 to 24 with, with fire from the Lord with God's glory being seen with rejoicing and joy among the people they all fall face down essentially because it works that's the big picture let's zoom in on a few of the details details about the high priest first of all who is this high priest? Well, first of all, we need to know this is the most holy position in all of Israel. And it's striking that a man could only do it if he has been appointed by the Lord, if God decided that there is no self-appointed leadership here. There's no leaders deciding what to do, or even the people voting on it in some sense. We can't be creative in how we worship God, but also... Who leads us in our worship of God really matters as well. It's God's job to pick his high priest. And who's there? Well, as we said, Moses grabs Aaron, his brother, and there may have been a private anointing already, but this ceremony is of such significance, it's a public thing. So verse 3, the entire assembly, it says, 
has to be there. Now, it's actually unlikely that the entire assembly was there. Um, we often read congregation and assembly interchangeably without differentiating who, who there's being spoken about, but probably what it means actually is that there's a representative group, at least a body of elders who represent the entire assembly. So as their leaders are there, as the elders of the different families are there, they represent the, their family and therefore they represent the people. Just in pragmatic terms, to have however many million around, it wouldn't quite work. What does he wear? Well, it's striking as well. He is given a particular uniform to wear, particular clothes. Um, we've actually met these already back in Exodus 28 and 29. It's, a, it's glorious uniform. It's colourful. Um, you get these things as well in uh, verse 9, 8, Urim, uh, 8 sorry, Urim and Thummim. And... There's actually interestingly speculation as to quite what these were. Most likely there was some sort of stone that the high priest had in a little pocket. And they were used to discern the will of God, often in a sort of casting lots type way, consulted to decide between people. There are examples of that. If you're a mate scribbler, then 1 Samuel 14 you see that. It's a way for the high priest to decide between people and narrow it right down to pick the person whom the Lord is choosing there's a uniform, and then they're washed. There's cleansing on the outside that points to an inward spiritual desire to be clean. So it's kind of a clean hands and a clean heart type thing. The outward cleanliness represents an inward desire for cleanliness. And then he wears a tunic, a robe, an ephod, a waistband, a breastplate and a turban. There's a gold plate as well, um, verse 9. We know elsewhere that said, Holy to the Lord on it. The point with all this though is, I take it, A, it is the Lord setting the agenda for what is to be worn and how to worship him, but also it is flamboyant and beautiful. That's interesting because we're coming from a sort of free church tradition in, in a room like this, let's be honest, not the nicest place. We might struggle with that, but actually it matters, and it matters because it draws in attention to the importance of the office. That is, the, the beautiful clothes that he wears, the gold, and all that sort of stuff, and we think it sounds a bit extravagant, but actually it's pointing out the fact that he was special. He was the mediator between God and man. His uniform, in one sense, represents how important he is. It shows the importance of his role. It shows that he is dedicated to the Lord's service. He is the one person in all the world who can mediate between God and man. And his outfit shows something of that. Um, you then get, 10 to 13, this idea of being dedicated, consecrated to the Lord. And there's all this sort of oil happening. Again, back in... Exodus 30 and 40, if you're interested, you get a recipe for the oil. If you've got a spare five minutes this week and you want to make some um, anointing oil, you can go there and look for that. But what's important and what's worth remembering and why the oil matters is it is a, a setting aside for service. In fact, if you were here for our 1 Samuel series in the morning, back in May, June, July, you remember the king was also anointed. This is someone in the Lord's service now. 
to someone set apart for a purpose, to someone special, to someone instituted by the Lord. And then we get a bunch of sacrifices, three or four of them. Um, I'm not going to introduce them that much because we did cover them last week. If you were around, you can catch up on the website if you've not already. Um, But to pick up a couple of things, I think, which are important, actually. One thing is from Leviticus 17 and verse 11. And if you've got questions about why blood, why does blood matter so much, then 17.11 helps us a bit. Key verse, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Do you see, if God is holy and good and pure, and if the wages of sin is death, then we need a death to deal with our sin. And so the blood of the creature makes atonement, deals with, covers up the need for punishment. The animal, in one sense, dies in the place of the people. That idea is foundational. It's an idea that we picked up later on and we'll see actually actually it did a job as the animals were sacrificed but also didn't do a job because the rest of the Hebrews will say actually Jesus can deal with the sin of people so that's one thing to say and blood is important Leviticus 17.11 is important but it's also just worth saying as well this is a slightly unusual chapter because in chapter 8 it ought to be priests doing the sacrifice but it's Moses and he's not a priest. There aren't any ordained priests yet. And so this chapter, in one sense, is unique. I think, you can come and tell me often if I'm wrong, but I think we only find that here. This is Moses, in between, kicking off the priesthood as he hands on to his brother. We're going to zoom through the sacrifices Verse 14 to 17 is a a sin offering. Sometimes it's called a purification offering. It's getting the people and the place ready to even do the sacrifices. It's the the cleansing first, dealing with their sin first, before you can even sacrifice. And so in verse 14, Aaron and his sons lay their hands on the bull. The blood then brings purification to the altar and the sacrifices can be done. We'll see it again and again, and Dave helped us see it last week. The hands on the animal, this saying, this is my sin, my uncleanness, my shame, my wrongdoing, going on to this animal. He is my representative in one sense. He is my substitute. 1821, you then get a burnt offering. Here what's going on is that Aaron and his boys are looking for reconciliation with God, and they offer up a ram in their place as a ransom for their sins. So they've dealt with the sort of stuff in the altar. Now they're looking for reconciliation. That's kind of what's going on with the burnt offering. And it's all burnt. In the way that it's all set apart for the Lord. The sacrifice mirrors them in one sense. The sacrifice is all consumed because the priests are to be fully consumed in the work of the Lord. Fully set apart for him. 22 to 30 is then an ordination offering. It's interesting, largely actually this follows 
the peace offering from chapter 3. But there's one important difference. And maybe you spotted it as I read it, or maybe you didn't realise it was a difference, but you thought, well, that's a bit weird. Um, it's to do with blood. Have a look at verse 24. Um, Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And then he splashed blood against the sides of the altar. Two things to say. One is the altar and the priest are being anointed with blood and oil. That's interesting. That's interesting because it's, it's almost tying them together, the connection between the priesthood and the sacrifices. This will be largely what priests do now. This is what their job will be. And so blood and oil for both of them, knitting them together. But then it's blood on earlobe, thumb and toe. Right. Um, why right hand side there's some slight speculation on this some say maybe it's because the right hand side was considered to be the more important side any left handers here sorry if you are but right hand was was considered to be the more important side and so it represented the whole and maybe the ear and the hand and the foot as one writer puts it like this the priest must have consecrated ears ever to listen to God's holy voice consecrated hands at all times to do God's holy deeds and consecrated feet to walk ever more in holy ways maybe maybe there's a sense in which those three bits of his body represent the three key aspects of what it means to be a priest as you hear God's voice as you do his deeds and as you walk in his ways you're different and set apart each bit of the body anointed, symbolically representing a core part of their ministry and their function. Um, and then they have a week off. There's a seven days thing. And then it seems to me they have a week off. They have a break. Significant events in the life of Israel are often followed by a week's break. Um, we see that happening in different ways in Leviticus. You see it... Um, when a, a leper is cleansed and brought back into the community, chapters 14 and 15, you see it after a birth in Leviticus 12, you see it I mean, Genesis after marriage or after mourning, um, Genesis 29, Genesis 50. There's a striking sort of pause, a pause to adapt to or to mark a new way of life, a new status, a new position. That's chapter 8. I'm unaware that time is rushing, and we're going to be much, much quicker in chapter 9. I want you to just see what this is all about. And I want you to have a look down with me at um, three different sections of three different chunks of verses. I'll just read two of them to you. And the first is verse three and four. Then say to the Israelites, take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defect for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering, to sacrifice before the Lord together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. Verse 6, next whole paragraph. And Moses says, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. We get it again at the very end of the chapter. We'll just read a couple of bits from that actually. End of verse 23, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. End of verse 24, and when the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. 
I don't know how you've found this sermon or these chapters. They're confusing. There's an interesting mix, I think, in them. In the one hand, they're really detailed and we're kind of scratching our heads and it all just feels a bit distant and a bit weird. Um, Maybe even a little dry. You're thinking, how does this apply to Monday? Maybe you're thinking, come on Moses, cut to the chase, enough is enough, just get on with it. And yet I think the detail matters. And I think the fact in chapter 8 you get all the menu, if you like, um, read out, and then in chapter 9 you see them doing it, that matters. That matters. But, if we just get so caught up in the detail we forget what we're doing it for, if all these sacrifices and institutions simply lead us to kind of cerebral knowledge of who God is, we've missed the point. Because we are meant to see the reason we do them, they did them, is that we might have a friendship with God. We're meant to see him and his glory and his greatness and his majesty. We're meant to, end of the chapter, shout for joy and fall face down before him. Because we get to know him. And we get to worship him. And the detail matters because you can't cut corners when it comes to knowing God. You can't just cut to the chase. You can't just press fast forward in one sense because we are meant to see that sin is being dealt with. Sinners are being cleansed and reconciled and redeemed. Sacrifice is meant to lead us to worship. Sacrifice leads us to knowing God. To seeing his glory. And the way this challenges me is if when I'm not feeling like worshipping God, then maybe I'm not aware as I ought to be of how holy God is, and of how sinful I am, and of how much the sacrifice matters, how much it costs to deal with my sin. Sometimes it's only when we recognise the depth of the problem that we recognise the cost and goodness of the solution. You just think, well, I'm a little bit in debt, but, you know, it'll be alright in the end. And when we realise we we are billions of pounds worth in debt, and we realise what needed to be done to deal with that, to pay the price of our debt, then our hearts are lifted because we realise that we are loved. We realise that he is good and kind. And as I say, we're sort of leaping in halfway through the story. This is only a partial solution. The sacrifices were good, they served a purpose for a time, but they pointed us ahead to something much better, and they pointed us ahead to Christ. And so I want to finish up here, um, and just showing you, or trying to see how, these two chapters point us ahead to Jesus, and we see how he is infinitely better in all kinds of ways. There are lots of things we could say. But I think I'm just going to focus in on about three of them. Maybe two of them and then one challenge for us. When, when you are holy and pure and good like God, sin is everywhere. Sin is everywhere. It is all pervasive. It is all encompassing. It is all polluting. It is all infecting. It has implications. So when you reach the New Testament in Hebrews, and why don't you turn to Hebrews 7 with me. In Hebrews 7 we see the sinfulness of the priest and the ineffectiveness 
of their sacrifices is a really major theme, something that needs to be dealt with. The writer of the Hebrews sees how Leviticus is great news, but it's not the full answer. It doesn't actually deal with the problem of sin. And so Leviticus 7 and verse 26 to 27, he's talking about high priests and how Jesus, as a high priest, is so much better than Aaron. Leviticus 7, verse 26, such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sin and then for the sins of all the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus doesn't need to offer sacrifices for himself, simply speaking, because he is not dirty. He is not like Aaron, or Nadab, or Abihu, or any of the high priests after them. He is pure. He is sinless. So he's better in that way, but also he is better because, because did you see it in verse 26? He is exalted above the heavens. And whereas Aaron entered the tabernacle so that Israel could be accepted, so Christ enters heaven and intercedes for us, that we might be accepted, that we might have access, that we might know God. So Aaron served the purpose for a time. Jesus serves the purpose for all time. But I want as well just to finish by thinking a little bit about priests and what that means for us. We are a church that believes in the priesthood of all believers. That is, we are a royal priesthood, says Peter in his letter. We are a holy nation. And just as Aaron sat in between God and his people, so Israel was to represent God to the world and the world to God. They were to be a kingdom of priests. Well, so we are too, as a church, we are to represent God to the world. And in a sense, the world to God as well. We witness and we speak of Christ and we show the world what Christ is like, but also we, we pray for the world. We pray for this community. We pray for our area. We pray for Oxford. We pray for friends. We, we pray for those around us because there's a sense in which we are a royal priesthood. And so it's striking, just as we finish chewing this over this week, I wonder whether often the metaphor for um, faithful Christian living is so often about clothing because there's a priesthood idea going on. And often we think it's kind of just military. So we talk about putting a breastplate on of faith and love and we think, ah, oh, there's a soldier maybe. But I wonder as well if there's a high priestly element here too. And so as we go from place to place, we are to represent the Lord as priests, in a sense. We're to marvel at how great Jesus is. But also, we are to represent him to the world. Which means, and we'll finish on this, it means that every second is valuable. It means whatever we've got going on this week, it means wherever we're going to be, whatever fills our diary, whoever fills our lives, Whatever's in our minds and our hearts, making us excited, making us anxious, whatever it might be, 
then we have an opportunity to be this royal priesthood. We represent him to the world. And whatever we're doing, whoever we're with, we show people what our God is like. And we show them that he is good. Let me lead us in prayer, and then Charlie will come and help us rejoice in him. We may even fall down on our faces. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we confess before you our, our need of you. We confess before you the way in which so often we, perhaps we don't feel like worshipping because we don't realise the depth of our sin. We don't realise the cost that it was to deal with our sin. We don't realise how good you are, how kind you are. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is interceding for us even now. Thank you that he has ascended into the heavens. Thank you that he gives us access to you. Thank you that he didn't need or doesn't need to make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice because he is the perfect and pure sacrificial lamb but also the perfect and pure high priest. Thank you that he is not dirty. And we pray that you might be with us this week. We pray that we would take seriously the charge to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That whatever we've got filling Monday to Saturday, we would know that you are with us and we represent you. Help us to represent you to the world but also to come before you in prayer as we represent the world to you, praying for the needs of this area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.